In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. I hope that the person that you love the most was right next to you when you woke up and they told you how much they loved you. I hope the sun is shining. I hope the birds are singing. The wind is at your back. We got a great show for you today. We have an incredible guest who's working on some new ideas that I think are going to help build a better future, a better framework and help us understand behavior probably better in a few different ways. So without any further ado, Anya Pechko, digital wellness advocate, founder of Project B, also the founder of the Dest Collective. Project B is a is dedicated to leveraging expertise, evidence-based science, and current events to reveal the complexities occurring beneath the surface of daily life. If you think about the impacts of social media, if you think about the impacts of digital anything that's been in our lives, then you must understand that on some level, we're probably facing an epidemic of, of that. And we're going to learn a lot about digital wellness and so much more. Anya, I'm so thankful you're here today. How are you feeling today? I'm really good. Thank you. How are you? I am living the dream. You know, I was so, when I started looking into some of the things you were doing, it's it's fascinating to me. And I have found in my life that when you begin researching something, you begin seeing it in your life. And I'm not sure if we want to start with Project B or the Desk Collective, but I want to tell you this quick little thing that happened. As I was reading a little bit about the Desk Collective, my wife and I were talking about relationships at work. And one of her coworkers is, my wife's like, right, there's just a lot of drama at work. And we, we, we had this fascinating conversation that like, well, that's because, you know, some people at work, that's their community, that's their friend base. And they, they, they seek out relationships to talk about things that maybe aren't work related, but then the work, you know, pr productivity gets in the way. It's like, it's like this weird sort of relationship that kind of is community, but it's not really supposed to be community. And when I started looking into what you were doing, maybe at the desk collective, it got me thinking in that way. Maybe you can, maybe you can introduce what the collective is to the people. And we could talk about that for a little bit. Uh, yeah, of course. So Desk Collective uh, became 
you know, was kind of born out of uh, a need for a co-working space when I was commuting between um, the suburbs and New York City. I saw a really big opportunity to provide a, a, a you know, a work, a, a co-working space closer than an hour to an hour and a half. So this was in 2016, 2017, you know, this was way before the world kind of pivoted. And what I found really interesting and what I still find incredible and what all of my work combines is how important we are to each other, right? We, you know, human beings do not survive in isolation. And I think we have forgotten that. And so the world we live in now is really isolated, it's really disconnected. And I think we're facing this unprecedented mental health crisis, but mm. also harm that young people are causing to themselves. Like I've never, you know, you asked me how my morning was and, and it was okay, but I've been writing like scathing posts and emails all, all morning. You know, first of all, I'm going out of my mind over this new um, uh, Apple gadget. <laughs> I mean, I think it's insane because I'm seeing some post of how much progress this is and how revolutionary this is. But my first question is, right, my first question, just the first thing that popped into my head, what happens to our eyesight and our vision when we're looking at a screen that is on our nose, right? We're talking about nearsightedness. We're talking about myopia for children whose brains are not fully developed till they're 25. This is unprecedented crisis, yet people are like, yay, this is so exciting. Oh my God, where's my extra $3,000? I'd like to buy six sets, except for everybody. <laughs> this is so crazy, right? And, and, and you know, I, I don't know if people are not realizing that, you know, we're not, we're not meant to function this way in solitary confinement in our home, in our chair. And so my work, um, you know, my, my, my interest in, in social evolution and the importance of real and connections, it's kind of like it's, in, it's interwoven yeah. in everything I do. It's my lifestyle, but, um, you know, it's also I'm just really passionate about because I'm seeing the world kind of deteriorate around me, you know, faster than I or the people that are in my community in the digital wellness space can help. And so, you know, the collective, the way I I think about it is, you know, the human capital, the human energy that we put together and how we used to live, Mm -hmm. right? How we, how we evolved as as, a society. And so, um, you know, I think technology is disrupting the five uh, kind of our main biological rhythms. I talk about five of them that I think are really important. Um, And so, I think if we can leverage our humanity, each other, real strength, real collective, real relationships, real experiences, real failures, real apologies, real fights, right? You know, stuff that we're not doing anymore. I think we can have a better, much kinder, much more compassionate, much happier and better adjusted society. Yeah, I love it. I love the idea of bringing back relationships into the world that surrounds us. When I think of that new Apple headgear, sometimes I think it's doomed on the spot. Like it just, it's so isolating. Hey, take this screen and strap it to your head and never look outside. Just look into this world. By the way, look at all our ads in there. 
And I, I think it's a failed technology that is finding itself connected to the fallacy of sunk cost. And what I mean by that is they probably spent billions of dollars in R&D because Google Cardboard came out like six years ago, kind of failed. Apple already had this in the works. They probably already had a team going on it. And it's like, okay, look, we've already sunk a billion dollars in this. We're going to keep going or we're going to let it go. You know, hey, we need a new, we need a new thing for the launch. What are we going to do? Uh, call Bob down in IT and see if they got, oh, we got this old headset. So it, it just seems silly to me. I, I don't understand how the world we live in can be, or maybe it's, maybe the world we live in is moving so fast that they can't keep up with the ideas, you know? And if you think about the the lifespan of an idea, it seems to be deteriorating or moving fast or something along those lines. And so I, I agree. I think it's kind of silly. I think that the large technology corporations are really searching for that next big ticket item. And they don't understand that the technology that they should be putting out should be freeing and liberating instead of confining and isolating. And it, it seems like that. But I think that your ideas of the desk collective is, is a workspace slash cultural hub slash, you know, blended professional personal lives. Like, I think that what, what you're explaining is this idea of waking up to our authentic self is waking up and becoming who we are. It's, it's beautiful. And I love I love it. And it, it ties to digital wellness and in, in, in Project B, which seems to be more something more that focuses on on digital wellness. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit. I launched Project B um, on March 2nd of 2020. And then 15 okay. days later, we were in a lockdown. And so everybody were like, you know, enough with the digital wellness. Everybody's on Zoom and nobody cares. Literally. I mean, that was the feedback that I was getting from people. But I knew that, you know, it, it really fueled my passion and it really spoke to me. And so I spent the last couple of years trying to understand the brain, um, the dopamine addiction, mm. how we develop, what is our natural biology versus where we live now. And, you know, it, it's, it's looking pretty bleak. It's not, it's not looking good for humans simply because we are a very complex biological mechanism. Mm. And so the way there's a certain way that our brain functions. And so we have you know, like you can wear a light shirt and I can be all in black and we yeah. have a, a choice in that. But as far as how your biology um, and my biology and a human biology functions, it's the same. And, it, and if it isn't working right, we malfunction, we break down. And so I took everything, you know, I spent the last couple of years kind of, this has been like, that was my COVID and so um, yeah. how I consume media and information and yeah. how I, you know, like I love content. I love audiobooks. I listen to a lot yeah. of podcasts. And so I found myself listening to podcasts, really um, liking the guests and then reading the books on Audible and then buying the physical books. And so from everything I read and everything I, I understood, I, I kind of wound down everything I know to these five things. And I am raising awareness and Project B is a platform that helps people kind of get back to this basic biorhythm, kind of reset their system. And so the five things I talk about is sleep, eating rituals, movement, social cohesion, and purpose. Um, sleep is very self-explanatory. We all have a circadian rhythm. And if that rhythm is interrupted, we're not getting proper rest. 
And so all this stuff in my youth where, you know, I used to think, oh, I'll sleep in my grave. That, that, that actually doesn't work because um, sleep is not something that you accrued, you know, the day after. If your body isn't getting the proper rest, it's not going to function properly. So the things I recommend, you know, I love Dan Huberman. I think he does a lot of, um, I think, I think he, 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 he gives really viable and easy solutions um, in regards to creating a sleep system, kind of um, like a bedtime ritual. So some of the things I talk to people about, no phones, a couple of hours before bed, no drinking before bed, alcohol or water. You want to be able to take a bath, kind of relax your body. Um, cool air, cool sheets, read books. And one of the things that I've been doing, which is really unlike me, is yoga nidra. I'm not a big mm. yogi. I love people that do yoga. It's, it, you know, it's not, you know, for me, it's very hard to find that space. But yoga nidra has been really, really effective. It really helps me calm down. And it's like within 15 minutes, I'm asleep. And so without that, um, we can't really function in way in which we were meant to function. So I think that's really important. It's kind of like that's, you know, ground zero. The second thing I talk about, which used to be nutrition, but it's not nutrition, it's eating rituals. And what I mean by that is that we're a hunter gatherer. We evolved. Um, I'm sorry, my puppy is. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> so, it's a good sign. A cute dog. Hey, he's, buddy. Very, he's very cute. He just woke up from a nap. Um, <laughs> The second thing I talk about is eating rituals. And so I think it's really important, right? So we're a hunter-gatherer. We evolved in, in providing food for ourselves. And so we, you know, and that is part of our evolution. Uh, the Dutch did this incredible study. If you light candles before dinner, the dinner lasts about 10 to 15 minutes longer. Why, we ask? Because we used to sit by the fire with our ancestors and share stories and this human connection and energy. And so it, it's part of our DNA. It's how human beings have evolved, right? And so we have completely eliminated the entire eating ritual out of our daily routine because we eat fast food. We do Uber Eats. We don't go get our food anymore. We do Instacart, right? And so that yeah. really limits, first of all, it limits our exposure to other people, but it also limits our... Um, nutritional impact on our bodies. And it's interesting, I have a lot of anecdotes in that, you know, a friend of mine, a girlfriend of mine texted me during the week, she sent me pictures of the soup she was making. And so I sent her pictures back and I said, oh my God, I'm making chicken and, and cauliflower. Mm -hmm. She lives about a few blocks away. And I said, why don't you come over? She also has a dog, we can kind of eat together and uh, hang out. And she was like, I promise we'll do it next week. I'm just so lazy, I'm gonna stay home and eat at home. And, you know, so I stayed and ate at home alone. She stayed and ate at home alone. And I was sitting there and I was reflecting on that. And I was thinking of how abnormal that was. Right. Now, people will say, mm. well, what's normal? You know, mm. it's my favorite phrase when I yeah. say that. That's, that's not normal. I don't know what normal is, but that's not normal. Because we went from sharing this experience and creating right oh my god this is so good how did you make it oh you used carrots i don't really like carrots but they taste so good in your soup you know this that's that's the humanity right that, that we're yeah. missing and so instead of that we now send pictures of each other's food to each other 
but we don't have the actual experience. So it's like fake sugar, mm. right? It's, it's like, yeah. you know, and so I really, you know, I talk to people about the importance of eating rituals for smaller kids, for people that have um, children that are parents. I recommend um, Jamie Oliver's book. So Jamie, yeah, Jamie Oliver's a British chef. It's called Five Ingredients. And every ingredient, every recipe has five ingredients in it. And so I really recommend that kids look in the book, pick any of the five ingredients, uh, any of the recipes they want. The parents take them to the store. They have a book or the list and they have this incredible experience, right? They go mm -hmm. to the store, they get that, they find the groceries, mm -hmm. then they pay for them, right? Remember what it was like when you were a kid and you got change and you actually you paid for something and register. It's unbelievable, right? It's our, okay. it's our path to growing up properly and taking care of ourselves. And then you package the groceries and you bring them home and you unwrap them and you clean them and you cut them and you cook them and you serve them. And then you clean up afterwards. That's digital wellness, right? Yeah. And so I think it's really important to remind, you know, n nothing I talk about, I'm not, you know, I'm not Einstein. I'm, you know, I'm, I haven't created a new theory, uh, theory of relativity. This is basic stuff. I talk about the importance of movement. We are not meant to um, sit all day. And the statistics are against us. Um, in 2020, if you were working from home, you were spending 11 hours on screens. 11 hours a day on screens on an average 86 American lifetime is 28 years. Wow. Right. So we need to really think about the numbers out of the day, out of the 24 hours. What are we doing? How much are we sleeping? Where's self-care? Where's work? Where's love? Where's nurture? Where's community? And so when I talk about screens, you know, use the screens. But use the screens as a tool. And so, you know, the best example I can give, it's as food and porn, right? You, you, you want to be able to have a very healthy relationship with food. You want to be able to enjoy it and share the experience with other people. You don't want to be sick and, and have, you know, issues where you're in a hospital all the time or, you know, body, you know, like serious issues. The same thing with um, sex. You want to be able to be in an intimate, normal, warm relationship. You don't want to be alone sitting and right. So we, we balance these things. And so it's the same thing with technology. And so moving becomes a really important part of, of right. our biological existence. When I talk about movement, you don't need to go to expensive gym. You don't need to uh, buy expensive clothes. Walk. Walk in nature. Walk outside. Listen to anything. If you have an animal, walk with your dog and experience it. You know, I... I have two pets, one is 15, one is four. And it's really incredible. My, my you know, uh, the four-year-old, he's really observant. So when he goes outside, it's, it's incredible to watch him watch the world. Mm -hmm. And so I often watch other dog owners, just how lost they are in, in whatever it is they're looking at while they're walking and how disconnected um, their animal is. So, so it's these little things. Um, my fourth pillar, social cohesion, you know, I, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. I moved here in 2020 from New York and I got stuck here alone during the pandemic. And a lot of the work has been driven by this, but 
I'll tell you, I, I'm a strong girl. And the toll that the isolation took on me is, you know, it's irreversible. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do my best that I can, that's humanly possible. But, you know, like what you said, right when we started, yeah. you know, um, you know, hope the person you woke up to is, you know, you're like, you know, I, I don't have that. And so one of the big things to talk about is when people do to make sure that they're not on the phone, that mm. they actually value that person, right? I think our social relationships, our uh, close social relationships and friendships are some of the most important in our lives, right? And, and so yeah. social cohesion is impossible when you're online all the time right where you're yeah. like stuck in this world of you know what i like to call is this fake reality right you know social media is not social at best, <laughs> at best it's a stalking app right? <laughs> yeah listen if you open if you open the journal this morning is it the journal in new york times i believe the journal at 7 25 they upload they published an article i just posted it um that pedophiles and sex trafficking was all over Instagram and mm. they just finished this investigative report. This is really crazy, right? So we have to yeah. really use language around these things that isn't, you know, so when we talk about real social cohesion and social relationships, they're not mine. And so even now you and I talking, this is you and I talking through a screen. We're right. not FaceTiming. This is not FaceTime. This is screen time. Mm. Right. And I think that's really different. And then the last thing I talk about is purpose. It's very short. I don't know what anybody's purpose is, and it's not my place to tell them. But you can find your purpose if you're spending seven to eight to nine hours on a, on technology. You know, it's very hard to hear yourself and see the world and be able to um, intuit right? Be able to kind of really understand and feel energy if you're constantly in your phone. And so I think if people can get these five things in check, right? We're raising awareness, you know, don't, don't take your phone into the room. That's 45 minutes a day. No phones at dinner at meals time at all. If you're eating 20, 21 meals a week, three times a day, 11 of them should be with somebody else. I now eat two meals a day. It's easier. You know, like I, that's just how it is. You know, I, I can't, I don't know. Like I, I can't, you know, it's just like there isn't 11 people that I can dine with every week. It just doesn't work that way. And so if we can get this stuff um, kind of in order, I think our lives can be much more balanced. You know, grayscale your phone, load all the social media and apps to a secondary device and really use it as a tool. And, you know, Try using our brains, our hands, and, and our friends more. Leverage each other for humor, entertainment. You know, try to be bored and really connect to other human beings. That's kind of the gist of Project V, really. Yeah, I love it. I think it underscores so many great points that, especially for, I'm 48, and I remember growing up, and you know, you're you had that old rotary phone, where you're like, you know, and um. The phone was connected to the wall. You couldn't go outside with it. And in some ways, it does seem like the devices we have today are almost like little digital prisons because they keep your focus. Yeah, they are. Right? They keep you like right there. And it's – do you do you see a time where 
do you th- in your opinion, do you think that we we wake up from this and we start doing what's right? We start using the five pillars, or do you think that we continue to go down this technological rabbit hole and maybe start to lose some of what makes us human? You know, I'm working with a couple of companies now, and so this is this is just taking a really serious conversation because yeah. it's now affecting children. Mm-hmm. And my first interest were, were schools and colleges and education, but there's so much red rope around it. It's so hard to penetrate these institutions. Right. And so I really kind of zeroed in on corporations because guess who works at corporations? Parents right. do. And I think this is affecting children in, in, in all different demographics and all different stages that I think it's now going to be a serious thing. As far as what, you know, do I see this getting better? I do, but, you know, I'm, I'm a true optimist. <laughs> um, I think that in personal in, in our personal lives, this is really obvious to people. But if you look at um, work, there's a cost to this. There's a cost to a distraction. And so every company you will look at today has a wellness program that they're um, implementing. And so I often argue if you're implementing a wellness program where you recommend that your employees do you know, whatever it is you recommend that you think wellness is, yoga, take off, you know, relax. You can't do any of those things if you're completely attached to your computer and social media and work. And so it's it's really interesting conversations. I think I think it'll be interesting to see what work looks like. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of this technology is now for remote workers. Mm-hmm. So if you work remotely you're on screen and you're sitting down on screen. And so it's interesting because that's a whole other podcast, you know, but it's fascinating. We have four generations in the workforce today, right? It's, it's, it's never been this way. And, and, and all those, you know, the four generations, they want to do different things. The baby boomers are like, listen, I don't need to go into an office and I get it. Um, You know, moms and, 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 you know, parents that have kids and want to be with their kids. I get it. I think it's more important that people are yeah. parents than employees. Young yeah. people, they have to be at work. They can't stay home. They have to be at work. They have to be at work because th- that's where you learn. That's where you fail. That's where you make mistakes. That's where you get up. That's where you have good colleagues that kind of, you know, pop you up. Listen, tomorrow's a better day. You know, I talk a lot about this in journaling. Mm-hmm. So I've been battling with people nonstop where I'm like, stop journaling. If you are an adult, if you're, if you're, if you're a teenager, you should be journaling, writing out your emotions, how are you feeling, your secrets, you're developing. But if you're an adult and you're writing, like, here's me writing in my journal, you know, today was not a good day. <laughs> really not feeling good. You know, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know how long I could do this, right? That's, you know, adults, what we do is we we talk to friends and they say, you know, I had a really bad day today. Hmm. I did also. All of a sudden, it's not, right? You're not alone. You know, I had a really bad day today. Tomorrow will be better, right? Human beings, we need a loop. We can't just, right? So the same thing with work, right? I mean, 
I don't know about you, but I grew up working. You know, I used to go into an office and mm. that's how I met incredible people and relationships and then all this experience at work. I learned how to work at work by watching some of the best and smartest people work and show me how to do it. I, I mean, I didn't know anything. And so that what, what happens with work will very much dictate what the technology looks like. You know, because they're saying this, this eye gadget is now, you know, you can put it on and it's like you're in the office. I assure you, you're not in the office. <laughs> you're, you're just getting myopia. I mean, I don't hmm. like, it's really, really crazy. I, I don't know how Apple is not going to get sued in the next six to seven to eight months. You can't look at a screen this close. Right. I mean, am I not thinking Am I? how, how is that? You know, so, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I know that the space of digitalness has mm. never been more popular this year than it has in the last four months. I've never seen anything like this. Um, you know, where people want tools, they don't know what to do. Yeah, there's a, Yeah, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, the people that invent the technology are usually not the people that should be projecting what the technology is going to do. There's like a great story from, um, I think it's Timaeus in the in, in Plato, where he talks about the invention of writing. And the great Greek, um, the great god named Toth comes out and he says, oh, master, I've created this new technology. It's called writing, and it's going to increase the output. It is going to make the man, humankind an incredibly knowledgeable and more beautiful species. And then the his God says to him, oh, Toth, my, my uh, great inventor, it's a horrible idea for the person who invented technology to try and explain what it's going to do. He's like, you have created a beautiful technology. Writing is an, is an extreme form, and it's really helpful to a lot of the people. However, it's going to do the exact opposite of what you thought. Now that people can write, they no longer need to have the lived experience. They can read the words of those who came before them, and they will have the illusion of the experience. But now they will never have the experience. You've taken things away from them by giving them this tool. And it seems to me that that is a sort of, you know, if the best predictor of future behavior is past relevant behavior, and we can look at some technologies and we can go, wow, you know, on some level, this is providing people with a great opportunity to be with their kids. This is a great opportunity to change what work is. This is a great opportunity for people to no longer have to go into a workforce where the people in the top CEO boardroom care only about production and they see their employees as numbers. You know, but but on some level, it does take away your intuition. Like you said, you and I are talking on a screen right here, but if you and you and I were sitting next to each other, we'd be giving back so much information. We can make deep eye contact. You could, I could say something crazy and you could hit my shoulder and be like, you don't know what you're talking about, George, you know, but there would be so much more contact. And in that contact comes the felt presence of the other. I could see, I'm sure that you've been in a room somewhere where there was a young man that found you incredibly attractive and you could see his face blush, you know, or many rooms. Yes. Many rooms. Of course, without a doubt, without a doubt, <laughs> people get goosebumps. You know, the first time I tried to ask a girl out, I could barely yeah. even talk. Yeah. And like, what's happening there? Like we are missing all those. Nothing's happening. Yeah. I all know that is gone. Problem. All Agreed. of that is gone. 
you know, George, I love what you're saying, but I will say, and I know I'm going to get flat for this, but I don't care. <laughs> I, I I think work, it's never should be home. You know, I, I, I don't think working from home is really, and again, I, I'm, I go back and forth. I don't know how to rectify this, right? right? I think there's no more, there's no other job for a woman that's more important than a mom, mm. period, right? right? So I would never say to somebody, well, I don't care that you want to be a mom with your baby. You come work, right? I, I, I get it. <laughs> I, but at the same time, I also think that, you know, humans, we live in systems. Right. That's how we've survived. That's how we've evolved. And left to its own device, human beings are very self-destructive. That's why we have the systems. And so, again, for young people and, and, and so, you know, for their evolution, for what they're learning, for their exposure, for the dating, for the creativity, yeah. for the human content, like, where do we do with that right so we can't so i understand what technology has done i mean i love it i think it's awesome but i'll also tell you what it took away from us mm. so what you were talking about plato i love that reference so greeks were the greatest orators right mm. they would yes. they would speak like this at these amphitheaters right it was a theater yeah. it was a show and people you know it was a it was a life changing, like I heard this guy speak and it changed my life. And then we went to a blackboard, mm. right? And on the blackboard, everything changed. Cause you know what, what would happen? I would just stand, you know, with my back to you and just write. All of a sudden I'm not even looking at you. Right. Or I would just write your homework or whatever the assignment was on the blackboard. And I would just sit there as the students come in here's the assignment for the day. I'm just going to sit and watch. And now we're on zoom. I don't, you may not have been like, you may be in your pajama pants for all I care. <laughs> You're a professor. Now add into that, that 71% of all communication is nonverbal. Hmm. So you and I are speaking through a screen. I think it's amazing because you're in Hawaii and I'm in Charleston, right? This would be really hard to make. So sure. I get it. I understand. And I also think it's incredible that we had uh, technology during COVID. I think in many ways it saved us because we already knew how to be isolated, right? It wasn't, you know, all of a sudden being locked at home with Netflix for it's like, well, okay, it's like, sounds like last Friday. Right. Mm. So, so it really saved, you know, so, so I, I really do see a lot of great things, but taking, use it, you know, using it without any borders, boundaries and rules it, is not the way to go about it. Because I think what people should consider with impending AI, which is already here and has been here, Instagram is AI, social mm -hmm. media is AI talk is AI and look how destructive that has been. Yeah. So, agreed. So, you know, do we get rid of it? Do we ban it? No, but we have to, as we implement the technology, we have to implement some of the digital wellness work around it. How do you use the technology to leverage your existing work, your existing life, your existing relationships versus losing all of that to technology? I think I think a good start would be for 
what something you've already begun and that's changing the definition of work. Like at least for me, I've been a UPS driver. I was a UPS driver. I am no longer a UPS driver, but I was for like 23 years. And it's fascinating to see the way in which technology has sort of got its hooks into that particular industry. You know, if you look at Amazon drivers or FedEx drivers or UPS drivers, I think that technology at least the way it's been wielded by multinational corporations has been with the sword of productivity and it has dehumanized people to a level that people don't even see each other as humans, at least not the top people and the bottom people. And technology doesn't necessarily have to be used that way, but when technology is used in conjunction with profits, it has a very dehumanizing effect. But I think that we could change the idea of work if, like, let's look at an Amazon building where they have all these robots going through and picking packages and moving stuff. Like, why don't we tax those robots? Why aren't those, why aren't every single robot in every single corporation and every part of the planet should be paying a payroll tax for that robot? And then the people should be getting, they should be getting an income from that because we all built this place. It's not like Jeff Bezos built Amazon by himself. All his employees helped build that. So they should all be entitled to a large portion of those profits. And I think that once we begin seeing ourselves in a way, we can harness the power of technology to promote wellness because technology doesn't care if you use it for something negative or something positive. You know, we could use technology for a meetup spot. I'm going to go meet Anya in South Carolina in Charleston every three months for this new wellness, you know, summit that we're going to have. Like, and then we could, be, we could begin building these things. And if you have an income coming in from the infrastructure that we all help build, now we can start traveling back and forth. But I do think we're at a crux right now. And I, I think that changing the idea of what work is, and I think that technology can do that. And I, I think we're figuring it out right now. It's going to be messy. Another thing I, I often messy. think about, right? It's going to be super messy. Yeah. What do you think? What about the trade-off for like a kid in Nambia that, you know, technology might be horrible for us, but what about a child in Nambia who can strap on some Apple goggles and listen to a, a professor from Harvard? Like that could be life-changing for him. So for us over here, we're like, hey, this is taking away everything from us, but it might be opening the doors to someone in the third world country who wants to learn from a professor that they've never heard of before. I mean, it's it's an it's, there's a lot of moving parts there. What do you think? You know, there are I'm sorry, are you hearing that's this right. drilling? Yeah, a little bit, but that's all right. I'm sorry, there's nothing Minor. I can do. They're drilling Minor. stuff downstairs. You know, um so far, everything we're seeing with kids and technology is not it, it's it's hurting children in ways unimaginable. I mean, I've never seen the type of warnings that the Surgeon mm. General of America has been issuing in the past three months. It's really unprecedented. Yeah, it, it, we have we have five to twelve year olds killing themselves. This is never known to a modern world. So again, right. while I think technology is great and it created you know just ways for us to commit, you know, connect and be advanced. Yes, I get it. But we're losing the battle. I really don't think we're going in the right direction because we keep on inventing bigger right. and more addictive and more sinister technology without any regulation around it. And so if I, I don't know if you have kids, but if you have a, if you have a nine-year-old, okay, what one. would you do? If, okay, what if you do, what would you do if I gave nine-year-old beer? We were out somewhere and you weren't there and then you came up and you saw me and 
you saw your son, your daughter, and they're sitting there drinking a beer. And you said, where did you get that? Yeah, and I said, oh, I bought it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, would your, what would your reaction be as a parent? I'd be furious. Why? Just give the kid beer. Yeah. What's the they, difference? He's going to drink it somehow at some point. Why not? Why technology not might be worse. Yeah. Technology might be more. It's more well, addictive. It's, well, here's the thing. So the reason, we, uh, uh, the reason our drinking age is 21 is because the frontal cortex doesn't harden until you're 25. Right. So the way young people absorb alcohol and get intoxicated is different than an older person. So the same thing with technology, yeah. Um, so, right. So again, um, can a child enjoy a cartoon on an iPad in a supervised situation and be okay with it? Of course, yeah. yes. Is it okay that our children are given phones at 10, 11, 8, you know, without any supervision and they carry it? everywhere with them in school in bathrooms and you know if you walk into any situation where there are young kids you can hear a pin drop these children are not talking they're they're communicating through the phone so when we speak when we connect especially when we're young that's the process of socialization that's how we learn how to be in the world We, we learn to watch like right now I can tell so much about your body language. First of all, you're interested in what I'm saying. Yeah, I am. Because you're leaning in, you're listening to me intently, right? So it gives me the subconscious feedback. You know, he's your tribe, right? He understands you. Versus if you're sitting back and you're kind of like this, and it's like, wow. (laughs) Right, right. It's like, wow, whatever it is I'm doing, this person does not like. Now, the way I look at this, again, if you look at our biological evolution, you know, I talk to women a lot about this. People, humans, we intuit, we feel energy. Mm-hmm. The, we have this as, as a tool to protect ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You know, here I am. I just met this strange man what, or, or these strange people, this strange woman. What is the energy? I'm sure you've mm-hmm. met some people, right? Totally. Where you're like, wow, this person is a ray of sunshine. Like, I can't wait for you to meet them. They're amazing. Versus you meet someone and you're like, you know, I don't know, but they get, like that person gave me the creeps. I yeah, really, yep. the energy is really off. I don't know what it is. I don't want to be ne- near him or her. Without, without being able to intuit and feel that energy right. and kind of understand, we're not able to protect ourselves. Right? So again, you know, it's all in moderation. It, you know, it's like drinking. You want to be able to enjoy a couple of drinks with your friends and some really good wine at dinner. But if you're getting up and you're drinking in the morning and in the afternoon and in between lunch and at dinner and before bed and, you know, then you're not it. So it's the same thing. And so the question becomes, what, you know, what does the, what does balance look like? Mm. Right. How do we encourage people to balance their biological evolutionary needs with this advance of technology it's just we're not if you look at humans right everything takes a lot of time gestation takes nine months for the baby to be able to hold his head takes months for the baby to roll to speak to develop right to learn 
we're not a fast evolving species. Right. We're very slow. We're deliberate, right? We think about things. We say things like, why don't you sleep on it? Mm -hmm. Right? See if things look better tomorrow because we change our opinion perception. But I'll tell you, and, I'm, and I'm, I've been guilty of this or a victim of this, right? Where I say something because, you know, it's right there. It's in the moment. And I'm like, you know, I probably wouldn't, have, I probably shouldn't have said that. Right. And I'm the first one to apologize. I'm the first one to say, you know, I'm sorry I said that right now in this instance is I'm sorry I wrote that. You know, and so these are all the things that I think of really our humanity is so magical. The element of another human, the element of surprise from help to kindness, to love, to jokes, to it's, 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 un, it's irreplicable. AI will never recreate it. I, I'm never, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm on team human. Yeah, me too. Right. And so I am looking for like-minded people who are interested in exploring that space. Am I anti-tech? No. I'm anti-mass tech. I'm anti-bad tech. I'm anti-unregulated tech. And much more than that, I'm anti-tech for kids. If you're an adult, if you're over 18, you have the right to behave as you please. Right? Yeah. You're an adult. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. But we should protect our children. We should protect their innocence. We should protect their child experience. We shouldn't have in an app, an app that's free to use to young children where there are pedophiles and sex traffickers on there. And I love the verbiage that Meta said. We're investigating. They're investigating the perverts that are trying to, you know, sell kids. It's, 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 really, it's really dark stuff. It is. It's really dark stuff. And so people have to be speaking out and they are. You know, people are speaking out. People are looking for ways to disconnect. There are communities around the world where parents are looking for like-minded parents and bringing their children for real social play. And the best way to do, I think that for parents is to show the kids because children mimic. Right. So if you're on the, on the technology all the time, they'll watch, children will do what you are doing. And so I think it's really important for us to rise up for children. You know, this is not about, well, you know, I don't want people to be on so, you know, I don't care, right. but we have to protect children. We have to ensure that their lives, that we help them keep humanity in their lives human touch, human intelligence, human love, human humor, human wit, yeah. you know, human help, right? I mean, a hug. Yeah, I feel like in some ways we're starving for that presence of the other. Like it's, it's, they're like a tall glass of water. You just want to just drink it up. It's, and there's so much that happens. It's really easy to be behind a keyboard and say something really mean to somebody. But it's very difficult to stand up in front of someone and look them dead in the eye and tell them that. Like, you're probably not going to do that. But no. when you're behind a keyboard, you, oh, you do it all the time. And if you do do it, you see how hurt they are. Yeah. Right? If you say, I yep. can't believe you did that. And then you see, and you just, oh, I'm sorry, I raised my voice too. I didn't mean that. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't see that online. You just keep on texting and texting right. and texting. So this is, 
you know, and, and, and so I think part of it is intended to be this way, unfortunately, yeah. you know, it's like everything's going according to plan because yeah. we're supposed to implode from the within and we are. And so I, you know, it, it's sad for me to watch because what's happening is we've disconnected so much in real social world, but then we go home and we post the picture and we wait for the like, because we still need the affirmation, right? We still need validation. Humans need to know that we belong. I read something, I read this somewhere, and this was so, it moved me at the core of my soul. A professor asked a student, when did human humans become, um, I don't remember the word he used, like, when did the human species evolve to be as kind and compassionate as we are? Like, is it when we started speaking, writing? And the professor said, no. Um, the, when we became human, as we can, when you can see on, on skeletons that we find healed femurs, because hmm. if your femur is broken in the, in the wild and nobody comes to help you, you die because you can't protect yourself. You can't, you know, right. but if your femur is broken, somebody comes and takes you and puts you in a safe place and we could see it healing. That means someone helped you. That means someone took care of you that's that's how we survive if you look at prisons isolation is the worst punishment for men and so we really have to keep that in mind and you know what i urge people to do is think of it as as far as like your timing how much is your time worth right so if you have 24 hours per day we're now sleeping six hours we're not eating we're not cooking we're not going in nature you know, people have Peloton bikes, they do aerobics at home. And I tell them, no, 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 get rid of your bike. Go ride a bike outside. <laughs> right? You can see stuff. I mean, you know, and I understand during COVID, right? There was no other choice. People wanted to exercise. You couldn't go anywhere. Studio was closed, of course. Yeah, I understand. But we're not in COVID. No, go out. We need to be outside. We need to be with other people. We need to be in sun. We need to yeah. be in nature. We need to be in nurture. The very powerful healers, very powerful way to heal, very powerful way to rebalance um, and reconnect. Yeah, I love it. I think that. For me, I see the world as you don't really come into this world, you come out of it. And that helps me ground myself to this idea that like you're part of nature. And when you go out and you see the a tree grows apples, I think of the earth grows people. And like you're you're supposed to connect to each other. And if you just sit out in a garden and you start looking at the way things grow, you can begin to see your life, like the way you grow or the relationship that the that the bugs have to the avocado tree. I started thinking like, man, I kind of do that. You know what? Like I kind of go there and always try to go for the good stuff. I always go for the fruit. Maybe I should be down over here by the roots, you know, but you can really change the way you see the world when you see yourself acting with nature. And I think that that is a big part of what we're missing. I think that so many people are just, there's an epidemic of loneliness and there's never been more people on the planet than there is today, right? Yeah, we're very lonely. And, and it's, and, and we're lonely because, you know, what we used to have is we used to have this daily, like as a UPS driver, you understand yeah, this, right? Uh, absolutely. Think of how many, I know Chris, my, my, my UPS driver's name is Chris. 
I sometimes nice. sit and sit by the right. So, so you, I, you used to have all these interactions with people. Yeah. Hey George, what's up? Hey, thank yeah. you. Oh, Hey George. Oh, Hey yep. George. Oh, Hey George. Love oh, it. Right. And so yeah. all of that. So you get oxytocin each and every, each and every time you have that interaction. You know, I, I was in New York city during, um, in the, in the beginning of the lockdown. And so I, I, I ordered a lot of stuff. I'm not a big order. I hate mass consumerism and I hate mm -hmm. buying shit, but a lot of the stores were closed. So I right. had some stuff delivered to my house. Not one delivery missed, right? The UPS and FedEx did not miss one no, delivery. And so what be. I started doing, I started leaving food for them, close food, like chocolate awesome. and cookies, right? Now yeah. saying thank you. Yeah. Because I said to myself, you know, I can't see them, but I can still acknowledge them. Right. Yeah. And so, you know what they started doing? Leaving me notes. I'm like, I'm, I'm there. You know, you're supposed to thank yeah. you. Yeah. Right. So, so these are the interactions that we used to have throughout our day on our way to work. Mm -hmm. And when we come home at night, we're tired because there's right. all this life happened. All this unexpected elements of surprise. Oh my God, I ran so, so, and then I, this, and this, that's life. Yeah. Life is, life is not meant to be lived on Zoom, <laughs> in your underwear. You <laughs> know, it, it just isn't, right? Now, right. I don't want people to take my words out of context. You know, if you're paraplegic, do I want you not to be in a Zoom group? <laughs> no. Right. No, for every for anybody whose lives technology has impacted in a positive way, which it has mine as well. God bless. Right. We're not talking about all the good things that we have done. We have a serious issue. And so we have to put some type of rails and some type of system around this technology, around around this weapon mm. that right now is causing tremendous harm. Right. The loneliness epidemic is happening because people, their need for humans has been replaced by tech. Right. But what they don't understand, they're not getting real nutrients with a tech. This is not, this is dopamine. This is not oxytocin. Right. And so we have we to, you know, and so we have to pivot that. We can be. Um, and we have to do it for younger people. I, I really, I think it's really important to, that I reiterate that, you know, if you're, if you're Gen X and you're like being at home and sitting at home and that's your life, do it. I'm not, you know, I, I we live in a free country, thank God for now. You know, we can do, <laughs> right. Another podcast, but right now you can do as you please. No problem. Do whatever you want, but leave the kids alone. Let, mm. and, and you know, it's so hard. So many parents reach out to me. They're like, you know, I'm a single mom. I don't know what to do. Schools should do it. Yeah. But schools failed. The school, the government, the system is not protecting the kids. And so it's up to the individual parents. And it's very hard. Parents don't want to be the bad guy for some reason. They don't want to be friends with their kids. And I say to them, your kids don't need friends in you. Maybe later when they're 25, you know, they, they when kids are young, especially now, they need parents. Kids need to, first of all, kids need to learn, know at home. So when they're, they're disappointed and they march upstairs and slam the door and I hate you, right? Because that's what yeah. kids do. Right. You can help them work through that. And so then, no, it doesn't become, and it's just, you know, I said no. And so when they enter real life, which is hard, 
and work as hard and bosses and partners mm. and colleagues, right? Yeah. When they when somebody tells them no, they're prepared for it. But we don't do that. And so what we've created is, you know, parents have given in. They're kind of like, well, you know, his or her social life is really online. But no, it, it isn't really online. I know community in every part of this country who is completely, completely um, tech free, whose children do not get technology till they're 14, 15, 16. And at that point, the kids have established networks of yeah. like-minded friends. So there's no need for it. These are children that grow up without body dysmorphia, without mm. suicidal ideation, without competing to somebody all the time. They don't care if they're not invited to a party or not because they're not seeing that party unfold. Right. They're not being bullied because they don't have technology. Somebody says something about them, they're not seeing this. You know, you and I are Gen X. I don't know that I was ever bullied, but we, whatever was happening at school, I could always go home on Friday and every night and be yeah. with my family and my mom. And But now you can't. It's in your bedroom. It's in your bed. It's in your pillow. It's in our bathrooms. And kids, they don't, they don't know. They don't know the right from wrong. If you tell a six-year-old, do you want to eat broccoli and quinoa and, and chicken nuggets or M&Ms? M&Ms all day. You know, I as a responsible parent, are you going to give them M&Ms? No. And you're going to say to them, you're not getting any. Maybe you'll get two after dinner. Maybe. If mm -hmm. you clean up and eat everything. I remember like I had to do 90 chores to get a crumb of chocolate when I was little. Seriously, I would be like, oh my God, it's easier not to eat candy. My mom would make it so hard. Like, <laughs> first of all, you have to eat everything. It's like, oh, then you have to <laughs> clean up after yourself. Then you have to clean up the toys from earlier. Then you have to make sure the homework was done. And I'd be like, you know what? I don't even want candy anymore. <laughs> like, it would be... But, you know, I remember it, you know, it was, it was parenting. She yeah. made me jump through hoops to get what I want. It wasn't a yes. And so later as I've gotten, you know, to be an adult in life, you know, when I hear a no to me, it's like a definite maybe because we're talking and if right. we're talking, I will get my way, but it's a negotiating. <laughs> it's certainly like he said, no, you know, you have to, these are skills. These are human skills. Right that we have to teach our children and and so that i'm talking about you know it's it's balancing tech and really spending everything that we can as parents to prepare our children for the world that is out there that is much less forgiving much less compassionate less kind than it was when you and i were little that's mm. how i look at it um you know when i was little i wasn't afraid of strangers if you go up to a child anywhere now and they're with a parent and you say, like, I like your shirt or, you know, your daughter. So the parents are like, get away from my child, yeah. right? Because it's stranger danger. You know, I, I don't know about you. I wasn't afraid of adults when I was little. Um, we, we didn't have that same. We didn't live in a panicked world full of anxiety that it is today. And I understand why it is like that, right? You know, so there's so many facets of this. And don't even get me started what technology does to kids. 
that are battling with mental imbalance, with mental health. If you have anxiety, if you are prone to depression and mood disorders, social media and news and tech is poison because what it does is it just makes you more worried, more anxietyful, right? It doesn't calm you down. It doesn't give you the good news. It doesn't talk about the beauty of the world, the power of nature, the power of human touch, the power of human connection. Yeah. Um, the news are bad. You know, the news, it's, uh, you know, and unfortunately it's part of what I do, but I'm telling you like today my post, like, like you know, can we get any more crazy news today? Like, <laughs> so we really, you know, as we talk about mental health, we have to talk about technology and how is technology contributing to uptick of mental health crisis and what do we do about it? I don't know if you're familiar with Jonathan Haidt, um, his work. He's an NYU, um, I thought he was an ethics professor, but um, maybe a psychology professor. He wrote an incredible book called um, The Coddling of the American Mind mm. with uh, a guy named Greg Lukianoff. And, Jonathan Hyde just published an article in The Atlantic, I think two days ago. We have to ban uh, phones in schools because kids aren't learning. They're on the phones. And, you know, I spoke to a superintendent to one of the largest school districts in America a couple of weeks ago. He told me in the next one to two years, everything in schools is going to be AI. Mm. That's going to be the entire curriculum because we need to wow. prepare students for the real world, right? Because the real world is now AI. And so I said to him, if you're rolling out this program, you have to implement a digital wellness strategy. Yeah. You know, I'm waiting to hear from him. So, so I think the really important questions that people have to ask themselves, not what the next three to six months look like, what does it look like three years from now? What does it look like five years from now? What does it look like 10 years from now? Because at that point, I think what will the most valuable traits that we will have are the human traits. Hmm. What do you, what, like, what, what do you mean by human traits? What, 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 what will be the most valuable human traits? Emotional intelligence. Hmm. Are we going to have to go back and reteach? We're gonna have to re you're gonna, there's yes. going to be classes for that, right? Yes. Wow, you're are. so right, you're right, so, yeah. So psychometrics, the personality assessment, this is why I'm, I, I got into it, right? Yeah, so, let me hear. Because, well, ultimately what I do is I help people change behavior. And so to change behavior, and, and I help people change behavior based on their own strengths. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have any props that I work with. Mm -hmm. And so for people to be able to change behavior, they have to understand their their why and what they're motivated by. And so the color code assessment breaks it down into, it, it breaks it into four colors, but the colors are really meaningless. It's what they represent. And so according to this test, according to Dr. Ben who came up with it, we are, every human being is motivated by one of these four things. It's power, intimacy, peace, and fun. Mm. And so, it's been unprecedented. You know, I've, I've tested all of my friends and I am, I am driven. My primary color is red. 25% um, tw of 
all population, U.S. population, is driven by power, 35 by intimacy, 20 by peace, and 20 by fun. And so what this has done in terms of understanding my profile and my motivation, it really has helped me to, first of all, understand and see other people and their behavior. And so now I understand where I can overreact about things sometimes. A lot of my friends are very calm, very put together. And I'm always left like thinking like, oh, my God, like, how can they be so calm? But because they're driven, because all of my friends are driven by intimacy or peace. I don't have any friends that are like me because it would be a complete cluster (laughs) bleep. Um, And so the best way that I can describe what our characteristics, what these motivators are, is if we're checking into a hotel and the room not ready, people will react one of these four ways. Person that's motivated by power will say, um, if I don't have a room, you don't have a job. And, you know, when I read, and when I read that, I was like, that is just so obnoxious. Oh my God, I would totally say that. Like people that know me, they know that I would say that, right? Person that's motivated by intimacy will say, oh gosh, oh my God, you know, I should have confirmed the reservation. I mean, I did confirm, but I should have confirmed it again. I would never say that. I think we lost her for a second, but she'll be back. I think maybe the power might have zapped out for a second. Oh, okay. Oh, so then there we go. The person that's motivated by fun will be like, come on. I know you have a room somewhere for me. Come on, George, hook it up. Come on. I know you do. And the person that's motivated by peace will say, listen, I'll be over here. We'll get a couple of drinks. Let me know when the room is ready. Only after understanding my own profile did I understand that I often function in this very Mm. hot, like kind of very demanding, very aggressive way. And so there's a way to counterbalance that because we all have a secondary color. My secondary color is, is yellow, which is I'm motivated by fun. And so to take the the aggressive you know, person that I am out of that, I'm really trying to lean in into these mm-hmm. more softer skills that I know I have. Yeah. Right. And so I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I, I will never say that to anybody because I have said it. I will never say that to anybody again. Now that I understand there's a different way with which I can engage. Right. right? So that's emotional intelligence. Right. To be able to understand your own emotions your own motivations, and then to be able to act accordingly in in just to somebody else, right? So now, you know, I'll be more yellow. So I'll be like, oh my God, surely you have another room somewhere. I mean, if you don't, I'll have you fired. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'll say something. Sneak up to it. (laughs) Right, right. That's like the best I can do. So you know, so so I think it's really funny, like interesting. I think psychometrics is really interesting. I think uh, I think human beings are incredible, and so yeah. I am really rooting to human. We, you know, human beings, we use each other for entertainment, or right. we used to, right? And so we outsource that. Um, I'm a big proponent of boredom. I've been talking about boredom, you know, for five years now. I have all these tags and all these stickers and I give them and all these cards that I give people everywhere. 
you know, that looks like this, you know, there's nice. stuff, my business card, it doesn't have email or my phone or my name on it. It's just people say what kind of a business card it is. And I just say like, go be bored. There's a, there's a space right now, I think, where we can all pivot and be just more connected to other human beings. And it's a communal effort. It's a universal effort. Everyone is talking about it. And, and I'm really happy to be in this space. You know, I'm surrounded by people that are doing incredible, incredible work um, in terms of raising awareness and giving people tools with which to, um, you know, fight. Yeah. If I, when I think about psychometrics and colors, I got a question for you. Like, let's say we talk about the red Anya. Is that something that you learned in the environment you grew up in? Or is that something that was innate to you? It's innate. And then is the second color, is the second color affected by environment or is that innate as well? Affected by environment. It's a very good question. And I love that you asked that. So what makes color code different than, let's say, DISC or uh, Myers-Briggs is that those tests, those assessments, they ask you about who you are today. The color code Mm. asks you about who you were like when you were a child. And so when I first started doing the assessment, I was sitting there, I'm like, because I'm a red, I'm like, this is such bullshit. Like, how is this relevant? (laughs) I mean, this is just... If, when I read what when I read my profile and George, mm-hmm. I'll be glad to send you this info. Yeah, I'd, I'd love, love it. Please. to have you test it. it yeah. When I read what it said about me, I I I, I was completely um, floored with with the accuracy at which this test described this assessment uh, described my personality and a lot of the things for me just made a lot of sense. I am, I am a true red, you know, it's my dominant color and I, I'm, I'm very, now it's also very cultural. I was raised in former Soviet union, mm-hmm. very serious system. Right. I'm a New Yorker. I'm Jewish. It, it, you know, it's like, we, there's just, you know, I'm, I'm very direct, very aggressive. I don't know how to, uh, what's the word beat around the bush. I don't, you know, I, 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 I don't know how to do that. You know, I'm in the South now. And the South is very reserved and mm. people don't really say what they mean and they don't really mean what they say. I'm lost here. <laughs> I, I don't know how to be like that. You know, people say like, you know, people in the South don't like conflict. And I'm like, who the fuck is asking conflict? I just asked you to move your car. <laughs> you know, so abrasive. Very, ab- <laughs> very abrasive. And so now I'm trying to be less that, right? Because I'm aware. <laughs> It's not so positive. Listen, I'm, you know, I'm trying really hard. Sometimes I see, like this morning, I did not succeed. I got into it with my neighbor downstairs and it was just, you know, I wanted to tell him I'm a red, but he wouldn't know what I meant. I just, right, I just right. walked away, you know, but, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I think whatever. And so on Friday, I'm hosting a really big training. I, I color, I, I tested all of my friends and I am, it's unbelievable because I know them, right? Personally. Right. And, and I'm kind of looking their profiles and I'm like, oh my God, you make so much sense now. And all the feedback that I'm getting, my one friend, Hannah, she wrote, it really freaked me out. I was really kind of like, it was a, a little, it knew a little bit too much about me, right? Mm. So it's interesting. And so we're going to be able to measure people's ability to be 
human to be social, to be able to resolve conflict in a normal manner where our current, it, it's interesting, the young people today, they're afraid of conflict. And, and at work, like we're seeing that a lot at work in offices, they don't wanna hear, well, you know, you're not doing this right. You know, they're like, uh, I'm offended. Right. I don't feel safe. I can't believe you would say right, that. Right. <laughs> right. So again, if you we look at by you know evolutionary biology, we learn by watching others. That's right. that's that, that's the human condition, right? We pass on the knowledge to the generations ahead of us. We pass what we know and 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 You know, I, I don't know. I've thought about this so many times. I don't know how you do that on Zoom, mm. you know, because I remember sitting in, in pitch rooms with, you know, people that I, you know, senior, senior guys that I worked with and just watching them prepare for business, right? How they stood, what they said, what they wore, how the body language was, right. how, right? Like it was, and, and you learn from that, you observe it. And you learn from failure also. You learn more. In my experience, I've learned right, from failure more than I've learned from success. And, you know, I spoke uh, locally here to a group of young people a couple of months ago. And it was really interesting. The moderator asked everybody to write, uh, to ask questions, but few people didn't feel comfortable standing up and asking questions. Mm. So they made everybody write questions and put them in a hat. <laughs> which I thought was just kind of weird. Yeah. And then one of the questions was, how do you deal with rejection and failure? And it was me and three other panelists. And one of the panelists, you know, went into this whole, you know, you have to lean into failure and you have to, um, you know, kind of look forward. And I, I just couldn't, you know, we were on a panel. I know I shouldn't interrupt, but I'm a red. <laughs> and so I did. And so I said, listen, I don't know anybody who succeeded at anything without failing over and over and over again. I myself have failed so yeah. many times. I am bound to be a winner soon because that's just how it, right? But sure. I don't think most people realize we don't learn from, you know, the, the, the few people, you know, the Zuckerbergs, right? The, the few people that invented something great in their basement in two hours and became success. That's not, that's not most of us. Right. And so I think in failure is where we learn the wisdom of what it takes to succeed. Right. But, you know, and so I said to people, you know, I said, you know, you have to learn to fail and learn to fail, get up and ask questions, learn to right. stutter. Learn to say, um, uh, that's not what I meant. Let me rephrase my thoughts, right? Because mm -hmm. these are all human. These are, this is normal. Making a mistake is normal. Saying, I'm really sorry I hurt you is normal. Apologizing for my behavior yesterday is normal. But what we have done somehow, we now live in this world where, well, you said so yesterday and that's it. We're, okay, well, I'm sorry I said that. I didn't mean it. I thought about it and I take it back. No. <laughs> Right. And so that's not human. You know who doesn't make mistakes? Machines. Mm. 
But you know who's consistently flawed throughout and always? Humans. That's our condition. And so understanding that and being able to sit with it, right, and be able to solve conflict in St. George, how do we, you know, I, I'm sorry I acted the way I did yesterday. I apologize. I, you know, and, and so how do we resolve this? And I've had so many of these um, in, uh, instances because I'm a red and because I always apologize that I think what people don't understand is that once you've done that with a human, you're tighter. Yeah. You better, right? Because all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I act like an asshole yesterday and this guy forgave me. He understood. Right. And I think, you know, you and I connected through Adam, you know, and Adam and I connected on LinkedIn. And I think what people don't understand, not fully, I think people are not understanding that collectively we're going through something very, yeah. huge. you know, like huge. There's been a lot of loss in our human community in the last couple of years, in our human community, mothers, fathers. I spoke to my best friend today in New York, his cousin's uh, husband right? His cousin's husband, he just died, was 40 years old, two kids, two, like, and I'm like, why? Just had, you know, melanoma, and then it spread, and then he got lung cancer, brain cancer, and he died in like nine weeks. Wow. 40 years old. You know, and so after the pandemic, and I've been very open about this, no matter what side of the fence you're on, masks, oh, there's a friend, Right. Um, masks, no masks, Lockdowns, no lockdowns, vaccines, no vaccines. We have all collectively went through unprecedented trauma. Yeah. It was really crazy. You're going to die. Your cat's going to die. Your dog's going to die. Grandma's going to die. You can't drink the water. You can't go outside. You're not going to work. You. These are the those type of things. They shake the core of our safety. And it has a very tremendous psychological impact, which some people, people weathered weathered well right. and then there's some people that did not weather it at all and a lot of the youth got caught in that got mm-hmm. caught in the isolation got caught in the lockdowns got caught in violence homes i had no idea until new york city schools locked down that there are children in new york that unless they go to school george they don't eat that day hmm I didn't know that. Right. I don't think any right? most people don't. I didn't know that that's the type of poverty I was surrounded by. And so I think now we, our empathy meter, our compassion meter, our patience meter, our kindness meter, they, they have to be kind of open, you know, and so we have to be more connected. And for us to be more connected and to kind of be more compassionate is we have to stay off technology. And we have to really acknowledge that we're facing, it's, you know, I mean, you said it, we are in a worst mass loneliness epidemic the world has ever seen. I mean, um, the U.S. general, uh, Vivek Murphy, I don't know, U.S. health, I don't, I don't know his title. He just issued a huge press release that we're going through an epidemic mm. of loneliness. 60% of girls today are have some kind of depressive, suicidal ideation, self-harm tendencies. 
one in five teens, I think, is medicated. You know, so we're we're here. We, we need help. You know, we need to we need to awaken. Yeah, it's you know when I think about it on some level, you know, technology is like a drug on some levels. It's like a performance enhancing drug because someone who, yeah, you know, it it ties in well with addiction. But but if you look at it as like a performance enhancing drug on some level, let's say we're measuring performance in profit. I, I think it's a horrible barometer. I don't think someone is successful because they have money, but it seems that society rewards people and they prioritize profits. And the idea of success is given to us through technology. I have this giant house. I have this giant car. I travel the world. I'm, I'm financially free. And it seems that in schools, we're taught that that is the goal. The goal is to accumulate all these things. And so if that is the message that's being put out there, and technology helps you achieve that. People are going to try to give their kids technology to a younger and younger in age so they can achieve the perceived goal of community, the perceived goal of success. And so you're having people, <clears throat> like there's never been as many millionaire children as there is today. Kids with their own TikTok channels or kids that are influencers. And <clears throat> it's a very small percentage of the population. Is it really? We just yes, tiny. We just see it. Mm. it it's tiny. It, it's completely irrelevant. And I and I'll argue because I've seen okay. that these are some of the most saddest, most unhappiest people in the world. Because I think people don't realize when you're an influencer, as I like to call it, right, right. It's not just creating that video. That's their right. life. It takes it is their life. hours. It takes hours to produce three and a half minutes of content. It's, 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 it's really, really crazy. And listen, everybody says, Oh, you should be, the I tried like one or two times. So you go on they, Hey, everybody just wanted to jump on again. There's nobody there. <laughs> I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I, I, I think there's something, something in me. Now I think there's, you know, there are different people, different strokes right. for different folks. Right. Yeah. So and some people feel very comfortable doing whatever I there's something to me that feels biologically wrong. Like I am, I, I, it's really, you know, cause I'm pretty open person. I'm like, whatever, I don't care. I'll, I'll yeah. try anything twice. It feels abnormal. It, it feels that, you know, I am best in person. I'm a force to be reckoned with. You know, I'm very funny. I'm very entertaining. I'm kind of like off the cuff. I'm very self, um, you know, like I can make fun of myself, no problem. And I think all of it is lost on screen. Mm. You know, if you turn the music, I just seem like some crazy lady waving. If you turn the, if you turn the volume off, right? It just, I'm just like I, 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 I just a lot. But in the conversation, you know, I, there's this great uh, old uh, psychologist. He's dead now. Old doesn't mean like he was like 1930s. His name is Casimir Dabrowski, and he's a Polish. That he was a Polish psychologist, and he talked about um, um. Uh, positive theory of disintegration mm. and it is so interesting and so I found a recording of him it's like black and white it's from the 1930s it's a it's a podcast he's on a podcast and yeah somebody's interviewing him and this guy asks him a question and Casimir just sits there like this in <laughs> silence for like five minutes thinking about the answer because that's, you know, if I say to you, you know, what do you think about this? 
It's a white bracelet. But if you take the time, you know, oh, it says peace on it, stretchy, made of rubber, there's no scent to it, right? It's so we don't, it takes time for us to advance. And we need to learn how to think. That's mm -hmm. another thing I was reading in a report the other day. I found this so troubling. We are not able, uh, today's generation is not thinking and kind of weighing risk the right way because they're not making their own decisions. Driving is a perfect example for it, right? So I uh, don't have a sense of direction. I have zero. I always think of it. If God gave me math, I'd be way too powerful. So I don't have them. And before, um, you know, Waze and, and Google Maps, I used to have to print MapQuest. You know, when I, I lived in New Jersey at one point, George, I was always two and a half hours late to everything. I would show up, nobody would be there. And I, cause I didn't, I, I, it's hard for me to read maps. And so I told my stepdad and he said, why don't you memorize where you're going? And I was like, oh, and you know, I started paying attention to roads, right? Like, and right. so today, kids have no ability to again you don't have to be a compass right but there's no ability to figure anything out today right you have no there's there's no place that we can uh practice our cognitive and critical skills because everything is done for us we don't really have to create we don't have to think and if you use chat gpt i mean it's 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 gonna wipe out hundreds of millions of jobs because we now have a machine that thinks and writes and you know that's a lot of things that humans used to do and so i think what we have to do to kind of stay we're never going to be able to compete with ai but your mind has to be pretty agile to be able to be in that same space with ai mm. and i think people that will survive will be the people that know how to leverage this technology people that know how to use right. it, people that know, and, and to learn how to use it, you have to learn how to use it, right? You can't be on Instagram and all this, you have to learn something. And so we don't have the capability to learn things because we don't have the attention span anymore. So when um, the superintendent of schools and I were talking and he was talking about all this AI technology that's coming out and I was just sitting there and I was thinking to myself, these kids are not ready for any type of AI. They can't utter a word to each other right now without, you know, I see it, I see it in my friend's kids. When you see them and the parents are like, say hello, say hello, and the kid's like, hello. <laughs> it's true, I see that all the time. It is true. I used to, my mother used to say to me, can you please, please, adults are talking, please go, right? I wanted to be part, I wanted to talk to yeah. people. I was, you know, granted I hung out with, with kids a lot and we were, you know, I grew up in a very different time and since we sure. did not have the same rights as kids here uh, do. You know, it was really, your, you know, speak when you're spoken to, adults were adults and kids were kids. It wasn't a we, you know, nobody ever asked me what I wanted for dinner mostly because Soviet system, we didn't have food like that. It, you know, food was scarce. So it was kind of like, God, I hope we eat. You know, mm. it wasn't like, what will we eat? So I don't know. It's a different world. You know, I think 
I'm, I'm hopeful. I try to be hopeful um, in this line of work, just all the stuff I read. Um, that's kind of all I have is that hope. And, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping parents rise for their kids. And I think they are. Yeah. Have you ever read Brave New World by Aldous Huxley? Yes. So let me ask you this question kind of pertaining to that. Like if, if we use the idea of like personality tests or Briggs-Myers and, you know, you, you had mentioned that or the color using the different methodology, whichever one, um, imagine how much knowledge you gain by having your friends take that test and how much more things made sense to you about your interactions with them, about maybe future interactions or even past interactions. It seems to me that what's already happening in this world, especially at some really well-known private schools is that kids from the very day they enter school all the way through, they're being not graded with A's and B's and C's, but they've, they're being sort of evaluated for the way they handle themselves, the fights they've been in, the, the things that they have written about in their times of contemplation or, you know, but they're being judged. And this is the first time ever that their entire life is going to be from, you know, age five to age 18. With that knowledge, is it possible that we could find judges that maybe maybe there's certain types of personalities that would be a good judge? Maybe there's certain types of personalities that would be a good police officer. And is it possible that all this information may help society become a better version of itself? You know, I said this early in a podcast, left to our own devices, society is pretty destructive, unfortunately. We don't have um, we don't have the stability to right now, I think, to trust society because mm, our society right. is not. Yeah, we're not. You know, we're, it's a bunch of sick people. Yeah, I agree. I mean, listen, I know what the pharma looks like. We're literally given like we're giving. Um, ADD and HDD medicines to six and seven year olds. We're not mm. a healthy society. We're not talking about exercise. We're not talking about nutrition. We're not talking about, we're not talking about, nobody's talking about, aside from people that are in the space, you know, people are not talking about any of the things I, I said to you. They're not talking about good sleep. They're not talking about when right. I eat real food. We're not, they're not talking about moving. Um, if you take a, a child to a doctor today, the first thing they offer you is drugs. So we're not, our society is sick. I think there are few people in our society, you know, I don't know if you take a hundred percent of the society, you know, I, I think that 90% of society will live in the Oculus in this Apple digital mm. metaverse world. I think they will not leave their house. They will work from home. They will have avatars. They will use Amazon and Instacart and Uber Eats, and they will sis, They will live in a uh, virtual world. That sounds and horrible then, to me. And then I think 10% of people are going to be looking for the death collective. They're going to want real human interaction and with like-minded people to sit at dinner and have these really great conversations and talk about the and you know uh, all the books and all the theories and all the concepts. I think that's going to be very small percentage of the population and so that, that's my right? like that's my you know those are my people i'm not mm. you know i i don't offer my you know i'm, I'm 
I'm booked. I'm very, I'm really busy. My interest is corporations and I'm working with corporations and very few individuals and on a private level, because I'm not, you know, I'm not selling my services because they're, you know, I'm, I'm working with people that are addicted. And so at that point, Mm -hmm. people have to be ready to create a new lifestyle and create boundaries. Again, yeah. it's the same thing with, with, with alcohol. You know, if you're an alcoholic, okay. it doesn't matter what I say to you, unless you yourself are ready to make changes in your life, I'm not going to be able to help you. Is there a pillar for spirituality in your in your thing? It's, sometimes I think with the degradation of spirituality, and it doesn't need to be any sort of pre-made belief, whether it's Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, or, you know, regardless of the mechanism, I think that the absence of spirituality in people's life has left them lacking. Like there's such a beautiful component there with empathy and understanding and sacrifice and suffering. We've banned, we've banned God, you know, during COVID we locked up churches. Hmm. That's a, I've never heard it said that way, but that's a that's that's in a really accurate way to do it. We've we've locked up. We've I think we've killed God. We told people not. I mean, like we told people not to go to the beach. Well, hold on a second. You can go to the beach. I got, I got in wait, trouble. Wait, no, hold on. You can go to the beach, but you can't sit on the beach. Be in the water. Okay, that one makes sense for me. You know, it's like all these stupid things, like stupid things that make no sense, and so. And, and you know what happened? People complied. Mm. Too many. They Way too many. They didn't fight back. Right. right. They didn't fight back. So, you know, is, is, is God, is spirituality the answer? If we are smart enough to fight for it. You know, it is in right. my life. Yeah, um, I but, agree. you know, people, we're not teaching in school anymore. I mean, I don't, you know, if you want to get into that, you know, that's a separate, have you seen what is being taught in our schools? The books, the literature, the perversion, the sex this is insane. Yeah. It's insane. These aren't teachers. You know, this is, so, you know, I, we, we you know, for me, out of the five pillars, God is in the purpose. Mm. right you can't believe you can't practice you can't go to church on sunday if you woke up and you're looking at your instagram feed that's the thing right most people will say listen george i just don't have the time oh okay, let me see your phone i'll find time for you. <laughs> right? let me see how much technology you use i'll find it right, right away and so you know i think another thing i was talking to a girlfriend of mine yesterday and we had a very interesting conversation we talked about that knowing that you know there are some people that do very destructive self self-destructive stuff but they don't know it right and they're like no i'm fine oh my god i'm good i was out last night i drank till six you know it's like i'm fine i'm fine but there are some people that know and once you know you start feeling guilty right Mm -hmm. you know that you're doing something wrong but you're still doing it and that is really dangerous because those habits, those daily routines create our existence. They create our lives. And so what I, you know, my engagements, what I, I can do an hour keynote, which is great, you know, very small of what I talk about, but I mostly work with people on a six week program and a three month program. 
at a three after twins program, I give people back about three hours a day. It's a little less than two months a year. And that's where I see the most uh, change because that's when people gain back time. They have new healthy habits. The first two weeks of um, everybody I work with, um, I ask them not to drink. So their physiology changes. They start working out. They connect. And so that's when they start saying, well, you know what? I have all this time now. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. That's when we look for God. That's when we find purpose. That's when we go to and read the scriptures. Um, I think to be able to really live the life of spirituality, there has to be place and space and contemplation and moments of silence and um, moments with God. Because God is not on TikTok. He's not on Instagram. You know, and, and you can't talk to God when you're constantly on. And so we're all like, we're all dopamine, right? So we're like all feeding, you know, feeding. We need, we need constant stimulation. But, you know, conversations with God are not a shit show, constant laughs and jitters, right? Like conversations with God are very hard. Some of my, like, at least in my experience, because that's, that's where I think people should, you know, don't write in a journal. Maybe that's the new thing to do. Talk to God. Mm. You know, those are very hard conversations because you can't lie to a God, right? Because you know, right. he knows. So, so you have to be honest and it's really hard. I, we're, you know, we are not, we're, we're as, as a social species right now in our mothership, we're heading in the wrong direction. We have no map. We have no plan. Our ship is captainless. There's, it's just, it's just, you know, we're, we're out. It's like, this is it. And so I really feel that, you know, I'm like, hold like me and a couple of colleagues in a digital wellness space holding this massive ball and it's rolling. Like we're trying to stop it, but, but you know, it's like this, it's not like that. You know, I don't have kids, so I really sleep better at night. It's such a sad thought for me, right? Because I'm kind of, but I, I can't imagine people that have children that have young children and what life will look. So, so if you have a young child, how old is your child? Uh, my daughter's nine. Okay. Well, nine. I said that before, right? Yeah, so nah. you have a, you have a nine-year-old child. In 10 years, she's 19. Although, you know, I'll take that back. Uh, I know who uh, Scott Galloway is. He's a marketing professor at NYU. And he, he had a really interesting conversation. I listened to Jacob, um, uh, Jason Wake Up, uh, Green, Mind Body Green, and they had this incredible podcast. And Scott Galloway said, listen, I think in 10 years, social media will not exist. And we will look at it wow. and say, can you imagine we gave that to our kids and ruined so many lives? So I actually think your daughter in 10 years and seven and eight years, I think the world, let's hope, is more stable for her. Mm. That her mind isn't used as a guinea pig as mm. the children's is, right? So by the time yeah. she... Right. Like, I think they will be much string, you know, stringent uh, rules and regulations around the tech. I'm, I'm hoping for that um, because, you know, again, I mean, you know yourself, you know, I, I had a really great childhood. Like 
like a fairy tale. It just, it just could not get any better. And I very much draw from that strength. And when I feel bad and when I was battling with, you know, whatever things that I was going through, um, leaning into that, that space that I had that, and it was part of my life was very helpful for me. And, and I want that for other children. I want children to be able to look back on their childhood and kind of be like, you know, like my life was just so beautiful and carefree and I love it. And now I'm an adult. You know, we shouldn't have 12 and 13 year old girls on TikTok dancing, you know, like with their twerking. That's, you know, they can do that when later. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so, so it's things like that. Yeah. It's, what do you think is the, you know, we spoke about COVID a little bit and a lot of people, when they're in states of fear, they're very compliant. And it sometimes it seems to me like it shuts off part of their brain that does the critical thinking, you know? And I, I, I feel like I have a healthy relationship with authority. And by healthy, I mean, I try to break it down wherever I can. Like I, I don't like people telling me what I can do and what I can't do. Like I'll decide yeah. that. I'll decide that for my family as well. And it seems... And what I've learned by moving to Hawaii and being part of a environment which is so culturally diverse that a lot of cultures have different ideas of what authority and discipline are. And so I'm just curious to get your opinion. Like, how, Do you think that 10% of the people that aren't plugged into the Ready Player One are the people that stand up against authority? Yes. I mm. stood up against authority. I'm from Agreed. a former Soviet Union. I don't trust right. the government. Right. I don't trust the government. None of this. Sh none of that shit made sense. Right. None of it. Uh, you can walk into a restaurant. Please have a mask on. But as soon as you sit down, you don't need the mask on. What the fuck? Right. right. Like the <laughs> virus goes away somehow from here to here. Yeah, because it only lives <laughs> here, but it doesn't live this here. This is a little zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, the virus is, you know, it's out after 10.30 p.m. That's why all the bars go 10.30, right? You, what? So, so it made no sense. You can't go to the beach, but we can riot. Yeah, right. You know, I was in New York City. My city was destroyed. I was attacked in the right. street. Prior to that, I was in the city for 21 years. Never had any issues. Got attacked by a homeless vagrant on May 9th uh, of 2020 on Chelsea, 9th, Monday, 10.30 in the morning in Chelsea. There was nobody there to help me. No cars, no cops, nothing was open, no people, no traffic, nothing. I was walking my puppy who was six mm. months old. You know, so I, I don't know. I, I don't, you know, I have a, um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty intelligent person. I understand the world and I will not comply and I haven't complied with any of this bullshit. You know, if it makes sense, yes, of course, you know, it's like, right. you know, if you don't feel well and you can go into a hospital, of course, cover your mouth, you know, do whatever you need to do. You know, me sitting alone in my car with the mask on. Uh, okay. <laughs> Insanity. Insanity. Right. You know? And so I would tell people that, you know, I'm lucky, mm. you know, I'm uncancelable. I don't, you know, I don't work for you. I work for myself and I am able to decipher the truth. Now, I don't push my opinions on anybody. We live in a free country, right? Freedom of speech, freedom of choice, freedom of expression. So whatever makes you comfortable. But as a society, 
I'd never imagined that Americans yeah. would be, would bend the knee the way they did. It was unbelievable. And what happened to children? Yeah. You know, this is a really, really serious. I was talking to a girlfriend in Chicago. Her daughter goes to private school. Uh, she's 12. And she said their school was only closed, maybe for a couple of weeks, really. And so the school's open. And she has a very close-knit of friends. Um, the girls really don't have phones. And she said when she looks at other 12-year-olds, all of them have speech impediments. They can't look mm. people in the eye. They're not. She said, you know, I, I just got lucky. She just got lucky that her daughter didn't suffer as much because I know parents whose kids aren't speaking right. You yeah, know, you so, think, yeah, I do. You know, so, so I don't know. I hope there are more brave people that come out and are able to um, look at the world. You know, this is why I kind of talk about, right, this is where we need to be able to use our cognitive and critical thinking. You know, this is the evidence that's presented in front of me. Does it make sense or does it not make sense? And so the evidence that was presented to me made zero sense. It, it, none of it made sense. The only sense that what made sense to me was to really protect elderly and those mm -hmm. who were at risk. And those who had pre-existing conditions, and you know, which is most of Americans because we're really unhealthy. What did not make sense to me is to lock everybody up and close everything down and rip up basketball hoops from yeah. basketball courts. You know, that did not make sense to me. We had zero, zero children's deaths. I think there were maybe five. But these were very sick children who were dying of cancer, who had pre-existing conditions, right? But we locked children away. We stripped them away of every kind of human experience. And these are the most formative years. The most formative years for children is one to five. That will dictate the rest of your life. You know, and, and so I would not have been able to deal with any of that. I don't, I, I think, you know, women and people, mothers, these fathers that were watching what, what was happening to their children, I think they're heroes mm. with, a, with tremendous, tremendous stress, right? Because it was yeah. like, my friend wrote this email to me, I remember, and she said, she said, you know, I'm working for the CEO. He is such a... Um, he is so obnoxious and he's demanding and I have to feed him all the time and change his diaper. And, he, and I realized she was talking about her kid, mm. right? Because, and, and so she was unable to work, you know, it's like, these are very serious things. These are very kind of, you know, I don't know. I, I got very lucky in, in many, many ways. You know, I got stuck here in isolation, mm. uh, which was terrible. But, you know, I didn't have that stressor of having to care for family, having to figure out my child's needs, having to figure out my husband's work, having to find a place to work, mm. having to find childcare. You know, these are, again, these are very, very stress-inducing moments. And so I think now, post-COVID, when everybody's out of it, I think now we see this, this, this suffering, mm -hmm. this plague that, you know, this, this is trauma. You know, I'm going to the psychedelic science conference in a couple of weeks. Nice. And 
yeah, you know, I'm a very, very, very big proponent of psychedelic therapy. Nice. Um, it saved my life. Um, I think it's magic. I think it's God's medicine. I think people that have been fighting and to make sure that we have this are heroes. You know, I sent it to my nephew. He's young. He's 20. And I sent them the lineup and he said, oh, these all look like hippies. <laughs> and I said, you know, Kyle, I said, you know, in, in, in 10 or 20 years, these people will not be here anymore. You know, they're older. Like, how old is Michael Pollan? Mm. You know, 70, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, Stemets. How old is mm -hmm. he? 65? You know, Rick Doblin? But I said to him, I said, these, you know, just so you know, these are the people that are paving the way for your generation to have access to right. medicine that can actually help you versus poison you. Because that's what I think traditional pharma has done. If Agreed. you're taking Robutrin, Prozac, Clonopin, Mirzapine, you know what it does? It numbs you. You don't feel anything. You don't feel good. You don't feel bad. You get bad weight gain. Um, you have serious, severe sexual consequences for both men and women, and you break out, right? That's not healing trauma. You know what psychedelic therapies do? They let the body process the trauma. And the body knows. It knows when, how, how much, how to do it, how fast, how slow, but it gives you time to integrate. And then, it, and, you know, it, you know, ketamine, we start your own production of serotonin. This is God's medicine, but pharma won't pay for it. And so the medicine is not available to most people, you know? So I think when you, when you start putting these things together, you're kind of like, oh, hold on a second. This government wants me to do what? You know, I had so many questions with the vaccine. Mm. Here's my question. Here's one question nobody was able to answer. So I have a question. If you and your daughter both go, and you both get the vaccines, does she get a smaller dose? Because she's nine and she's smaller? Do they have children's doses? Do they have doses for people that are heavier versus thinner? Because heavier people have more body fat. So then, right? So all these... I think it was all like, you know, everybody just gets the same thing. Well, but when you go to the doctor, you're not giving the same dose of, right? Like they have to give you those right. based on your weight and your medical history. And do you have diabetes? Do you have side of, you know, tell me about your medical history. Is there cancer in a family? They ask you all these things. But all of a sudden you're like, okay, take this. No questions ask. Well, hold on a second. And so, you know, it's really, you know, so to see, uh, so I'm hopeful because I am part of these movements right. of people that are literally fighting for better existence on the human level, on a social level, in a workplace environment, psychologically, medicinally. But, you know, you think Pfizer is going to let ketamine win you think Pfizer is going to let Paul Stemets win no because mycelium and psilocybin grows you know in the woods Pfizer's not going to make any money that way they don't want you you know I'll give you I'll, I'll yeah. tell you furthermore god I hope Please. I'm alive after this podcast <laughs> I was working I was working for Robinson Lair and Montgomery, which is a PR agency, and they were handling the uh, Viagra release for Pfizer. 
I was working in New York City. I think it was 98 or 99, and I lived in New Jersey. My boss called me, John something. I can't remember his name. And he called me like on a Saturday morning, and he said, I need you to come into work. I need you to change some things in a PowerPoint. And I said, I'm not, I'm not coming in. And I'm like standing there. You know, we didn't have cell phones then. And, right. I, and I'm thinking to myself, why did I pick up? Yeah. Like, and he's like, Anya, you need to come into work. You need to, you need to do the, you need to change this. And I said, I'm not coming into work. And so I went into work. <laughs> I got into work. I changed George. I changed one word in that presentation. You want to know what that was? You know how you go replace all? Yeah. I replaced safe with well tested. Wow. Overnight, Viagra went from a safe drug to well to well tested drug. So if you were taking it and something went wrong and you went to the hospital, you know what they said to you? Did you read the little pamphlet? Because it says right here, it's well tested, it's not safe. So you shouldn't have taken it. Right. Right. And so and so of course you ask these questions. Right. Right. Like, how does this, how does it work? There's a huge field of research coming in now about microbiome. And everybody's like, oh my God, the microbiome. Oh, our stomach is connected to our brain. It's this, you know, it's, it's a new thing. Nobody knew this before three months ago, before Chris Palmer wrote his book, Brain Energy. Well, if you're eating processed food all the time, your body, your stomach lining, your microbiome, it's inflamed because you're not eating real food. The body is inflamed because you're eating garbage. If your body is inflamed, your mind gets inflamed, your brain gets inflamed. You know what we can um, address that with? Diet. Mm -hmm. Nobody's talking about that. You know what they're talking about? And this is favorite when the doctors say, they say, I'm sorry, George, that this uh, medicine didn't work. You know what I think we should do really, which would work? I think we should put you on a cocktail of drugs. Forever. Right? All of this <laughs> cocktail of drugs. Because this one right. medicine doesn't work, I'm not going to stop that medicine. I'm just going to add more medicine. And and I don't know. People do it. They take it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that would be like. I'm, you know, it's not it's not my world. I don't go to the doctors. I don't mm. really, I, I just don't trust the establishment. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I think the system has failed us. It has not protected us. And, you know, I can, I, I can understand, you know, like civil discourse and all these things we fight about, whatever, you know, red, white, blue, you know, I, I get it. But this is just different. You know, this is different. This is next level. This is where, you know, this is where, you know, humans would either would will either win or lose, and um, you know, I I hope we win, but yeah, I I, I think so. I, I think that there is this awakening coming, like, and especially people that have found themselves called to psychedelics or have had a psychedelic experience. It's very difficult to put the genie back in the bottle once you've experienced that there's more out there than just this little window that you've been given into your life. And for a lot of people, myself included, you know, when you begin, when you begin seeing things in a more holistic way, when you begin seeing yourself as part of the environment, 
the usually the first thing is like I can't believe how long I've been lied to. I cannot believe this model of addiction that has been prioritized and profitized on the well-being of the weakest among us. People are preying upon the weakest among us, the children, the elderly, and you look around and for me, I, you know, I remember thinking like why is no one doing anything? And then I had to ask myself the question, why am I doing nothing? If I want there to be change, then I should be the agent of change. I should be I should be standing up in front of people and explaining to them why it's wrong. I should be in my workplace having everyone behind me calling people out like this is bullshit and here's why it's bullshit. You know, and I, I think with psychedelics comes the ability to begin facing your fears. And fear seems to be the epidemic that is used. Fear is the tool used by the pharmaceutical companies. Fear is the tool used by governments. Fear is the tool used by anyone who claims to be an authority. And they use it to beat you down. But you need not be afraid of that because fear fears you. And I, I think that the psychedelic movement is something that, that, breathe, that breathes that into the other people. Once you begin to breathe it in yourself, begin standing up to it. And I, I don't see, <clears throat> I'm hopeful that the psychedelic medicine is like a Trojan horse, even for people like Pfizer. You know, all of a sudden, one of the biggest changes that I see is people that are administering this medicine are people that have taken that medicine. And that's not something you will ever see in the world of pharma. Someone, someone who is, you know, giving someone Suboxone is not taking Suboxone. You know, they're not giving people this addiction medicine. And I, I, I see the, the, probably a bad metaphor, but the dam has broken, right? And there's no going back. The dam is, it's, 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 it doesn't work. The economic system's broken. The medical system's broken. And I, education is broken. Education our social broken. system. We are socially we atrophied. We're yep. socially atrophied. We're socially and morally bankrupt. This is, we're declining. Uh, we're in decline. So that's, that's the current state and AI and Apple are, they're going to expedite things in way unimaginable. I don't think people realize it. I, I really don't. I'm telling Is you up until four months ago, when I would tell people that I'm an addiction coach and they would say, Oh, what do you specialize in? And I would say uh, technology. They would say, Hmm. Yeah. They don't understand it. <laughs> Right. They'll understand if I say, well, you know what alcohol addiction is? They say, yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, you know, with their Apple watch. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it, it's, it's so crazy. And so now four months later, you know, I'm telling you, this is every corporate, every company corporation in America is talking about a digital wellness program. Uh, I'm sorry, a wellness program. Right. Right. Because, and when I talk about this, I talk about that uh, digital wellness, I think, becomes a perk for a company. So as in before, you know, you would get a free dinner or you get, you know, free beer or if you stay past a certain hour, you get a free car home. Now, I think companies are going to want to know that they understand digital wellness. What does that mean? That means that if I'm your boss, I'm not going to email you on a Sunday morning with a list of things to do. Because even, even if I email you and I'll say... Oh, George, you know, you don't have to worry about this till tomorrow. You will worry about it right, because you right. would have gotten that email and you yeah. would have read it and your Sunday is ruined. Yeah. Even though I said 
not to worry about it till tomorrow. Well, then why did I send it? Right. Why couldn't right. I just send it to you on Monday? Hey, George, good morning. I hope you had a nice weekend, right? But if I'm kind of up your ass every day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but on Monday, by the time you get to work, working is the last thing you want to do. And that's what's happening now. So, you know, it's it's like, I don't remember who said this, but we can fix, you can't fix a problem with the same tools that you broke it with. Mm. You know, you can't fix it with the same thinking. We need new tools. And so I find it interesting when people talk about, well, you know, going back to work five days, eight, well, nobody's talking about going back to work eight through five, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday. But you can't work from home all your life. No, that doesn't work. That's not the, you know, the society can't function that way. And so again, you know, I understand the mom. I understand the issue. Right. I understand how hassle your commute is. The big cities, Chicago, DC, New York, Philadelphia, the big cities of America cannot balance back until the retail sector of those cities is somewhat profitable and is and has customers, clients, businesses in it. That's never going right. to happen, though, is it? You know, right now I can run into a Walgreens and steal a thousand dollars worth of stuff and walk out without I mean, a problem. Yeah. And you know what they're doing in New York? Mayor Adams wants to put kiosks where you can mm -hmm. talk to the thief and, you know, talk to them about their choices and lifestyles. It's really, really like crazy stuff. Right. And I love my friends in New York. And I spoke to my best friend this morning, like, how was New York? And he's like, oh, it's great. Um, okay. Okay. It's great. <laughs> it's not great. I assure you. Because mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I read the stats or stuff. And he said, you know, don't, don't read things. Ask me. Mm. Well, you know, numbers, statistics, I may not be able to calculate them, but I can read them. Yeah. You know, and, and so, you know, I think this is the brave new world. I think we're living in it. And so I think people that are interested in healing, in humanity, in forgiveness, in compassion, I think the world belongs to them in the future and everybody else will be in the, you know, Apple goggle right. world with, right. with, with no eyes. You know, I, I really, mm. the reason I know what myopia nearsightedness is, is because I have nearsightedness. I was born with it. And it's one of the greatest strategies of my life is not being able to see well. I battled with my eyesight my entire life. And when I read this this morning, my heart just sank because what happens is when you're myopic, when you're nearsightedness, everything far away becomes really blurry and you're, you're losing the world at that point. Right. It's, it is, it, it's irreversible damage. You know, you can sew another finger on, but you can't, I, I've looked into this maybe in my lifetime, they will, but. Right now, replacement of the eyes, it's almost impossible. It's not a safe surgery. It's, you have to be very old and you have to, you know, so this is it. And so I, I, I can't believe that how Apple came up with this device where you're looking at something, this, because it's on your nose. So it's like this, right? So then like, like this. Yeah, it's not safe, but it's well tested. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 Anya, I love talking to you. This has been a really fun conversation. I love that you're a red. Thank you. I'll send you the test. I think you're going to yeah, be a please. red also. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Fantastic. Well, before I let you go, Anya, first off, thank you to everybody who was here and thank you for all the information. Thank you for both projects that you're working on. Thank you for standing up for what you believe in and not holding back. I think that we need more people like that. And it's a it's a it's a welcome moment for me to get to talk to someone who is putting that out in the world and, and hopefully making it a little bit more contagious. So thank you for that. What, where can people find you? What do you got coming up and what are you excited about? I am excited. I'm excited. I'm really excited about my work. I, I'm, in, I'm working with incredible people um, that I admire and respect. People can find me at anyapechko.com and then projectb.com. I am really excited to be heading to the Psychedelic Conference yeah. in the next couple of weeks. And then I have some really fun projects coming up after that. So stay tuned. It was really nice talking to you. I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. And I really love what you're doing. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, let's we'll reconvene after the after the um after Denver. And I would love to hear more about what you got going on. So we'll we'll definitely be having a much more much more frequent conversations. And so I appreciate it. And hang on for one second. I'm gonna hang up with the audience, but I wanted to talk to you briefly afterwards. Of course. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Go into the show notes, go check out what Anya has going on. I know you'll be impressed, and she's a really amazing person to talk to. And uh, that's all we got for today. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart, and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, Follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.